0: Well, church, listen, we're going to try to pick up tonight where we left off last time together, but we're going to try to cover some ground. We're going to do things a little different this evening. And uh, and then what I hope to do is that when we have a better understanding of our title, why not have the best, this is part two, that we will end with worship tonight in a more, what's the word, maybe more affectionate way than normal. So, church, grab your Bibles this evening and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 9 together, and we're, Lord willing, we're in verses 12 now to 28, 12 to 28. If we do that, it might be a record, but good stuff, book of Hebrews. Hebrews, if you don't know, if you're new to this, the book of Hebrews is the New Testament answer to Leviticus in the Old Testament. If you want to see those two books and reading them in tandem, it'd be a very, very wise thing for you to do is to actually just take a read through Leviticus, and I know you say, well, Jack, it's so bloody. (laughs) Take the spleen and take the liver and then this and place the... Exactly, exactly. It's all about the preciousness of sacrifice in Leviticus, all of the... Rules and all of the regulations are to show you how in depth, how detailed God is regarding our sins being washed away in Christ Jesus. Listen, you better be happy and glad that you're not living back in those days. Oh my goodness. Thank God for Jesus. If you ever want to be grateful, read Leviticus and then jump on over to the book of Hebrews, and you can be very glad about what God has done. Church, last time together, we just looked at one verse, and it was chapter 9, verse 11, where we saw that why not have the best when God's best is enough? And everything that we do tonight is going to be building upon the fact that what God has done is the best in giving us Christ. And I don't mean to step on anybody's toes intentionally or upset anybody, but if you are of a different religion or faith belief system you need to ask yourself tonight do you have something that's better than what you're about to hear now this is a bizarre thing because in life we've got all kinds of options that we can exercise regarding all kinds of things Um, we were just talking before service tonight about uh, just the difference between uh, a gas-powered vehicle and the comment I made on Sunday about a Tesla that I saw being pushed. Um, So somebody brought up that topic, and we kind of laughed about it a little bit, and we started talking about this, that, and the other thing. But the bottom line is, at least in this country, right, you have a choice. You want to own this, you can own this. You want to own that, you can own that. And that's fine, because ultimately, let's be honest, those decisions do not have much of an eternal value to them. But when you exercise the option to not have the best priest possible regarding your spirituality, now that's a serious issue. And God's word lays it out and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That is a... People either love that statement or they hate it. I find it very defining... But it's truth nonetheless. And it's all about Christ. And we saw that when God's best is enough in verse 11, we saw this but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That's the place of offering. Not made with hands, not made with human hands. That is, that is not of this creation. That when Jesus Christ was not only the fulfillment of the Old Testament economy and operation, And all of the things that Moses was instructed by God to give to the people. But it's all culminated in Jesus himself. We saw these things that the Messiah as our high priest is best. What an amazing statement. Listen, according to our faith as believers, that the Messiah himself is. The very best that we can have. According to scripture, Old and New Testament, the Messiah is in fact the one that is the savior of all of mankind. You and I take that for granted. There are those who have a belief system that their Messiah will be a political deliverer, that their Messiah will bring in a kingdom of politics. And I'm not just speaking about those that are in Israel. A lot of people that are in Israel today, they're not looking for a Messiah to take away their sins. They're looking for a political Messiah to deliver them from their problems. But that's, listen, when Christ came, he didn't come that way. You need to read the Bible in its totality. He came the first time to deal with sin. The second time, he'll come to establish his politics. I should say his politic because it's singular. He's not gonna share his throne with anybody. He's gonna be king of kings and lord of lords in person. And it's, got, and it's awesome. And then we saw also that the best is all we've ever needed in him. Whatever you need in life, Jesus Christ is the answer. And that's not a I'm not saying that as a glib thing, as as this is what Christians are supposed to say. It is a fact. And going through life without him, you go from one need to the next. Endlessly, in this life. Endlessly. You're never satisfied until you come to Christ. Oh, I had a great day today. I'm going to interrupt myself to drop a name. I don't know who this person is still. I'm sorry. I had a chance today to sit down and interview uh, an NBA uh, star. This guy is the only one who would not bow the knee regarding Black Lives Matter. He wouldn't do it. And um, Jonathan Isaac, and um, the the great basketball player for the Orlando uh, Magic, and um, what a precious young man of God. And the just, I asked him, where did where'd you get your courage to stand? Because you know he stood up uh, when he, he wouldn't take a knee in the BLM movement, and his entire team, including his coaches. They all took a knee, and here's the deal. His whole career was on the line because he had not yet signed the contract of commitment to be with the magic. And so he could have been ruined forever. But he stood, his pastor told him, listen, when you stand for God, God will stand for you. And here's a young man saying that, and then he got in all kinds of trouble for it, and he never flinched. And then the vaccine thing came out, and he wouldn't get vaxxed. And so he said, nope, not going to do it. There's there's not enough information, not enough science. Something's wrong, doesn't sound right. Not going to do it. He was hated for that. And I asked him, where'd you get the courage to do this? And one comment after the next was the fact that his pastor was just fueling him with the Bible, Fueling this guy with the Bible. This guy is all about the Bible. By the way, uh, if you know who I'm talking about, that's great. I just met him today, so I don't know anything. And I, I don't even know what end of the basketball to hold. So don't hold me accountable. Don't write, don't write me and say, I can't believe you, you didn't know that guy. Um, you know what? I can't jump. Um, but thank God he can. And he's like nine feet tall and all that stuff, so he's, but he loves God. And he was just glowing with Jesus. And so be watching for that interview on the Real Life Network. It's going to be amazing, but how, how sweet it is, uh, because he said, you know what, and by the way, young people, listen, I asked him, I said, what would you say to young people that are watching you right now? You're a leader. And he said, yeah, it's this. I've got the fame and I've got the money, and it's nothing. Nothing. It's nothing. He said, I'm telling you, it's nothing. Now, somebody might say, Well, you can say that when you've got the fame and the money. Well, that's a bad way of looking at it because the scripture is very clear that naked, you and I have come into this world, and it's naked that we leave. In other words, you come in with nothing and you leave with nothing. But if you're a believer in Christ, listen, we may come in with nothing, but we leave with someone. And that's a big difference. And so, Whatever you need in life, you're not going to get it any other way but through Christ alone. And then we saw that the realization of the ages is enough. Jesus Christ is the culmination of the entirety of Scripture. So, church, we pick it up in number two, and that is in verse 12 when God's best is accepted. It's almost a circular reasoning, but we, we need this this way. God's best, of course, is accepted by God. But the point is this, that God had to be the one that provided that which is accepted. Look at verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves. God doesn't want human sacrifice or human effort or even the blood of innocent animals anymore. That no longer works. Israel did that in advance of what would come, looking ahead to the Lamb of God, Christ Jesus who did come 2,000 years ago, but with his own blood, verse 12 says, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Write that down, please. Eternal redemption. Now, you guys know I stress this a lot, and uh, I, I just love this. Often I will say that I believe in the eternal security of the believer, but I will qualify it because, you know, there's people in camps. Oh, you can't know that. Uh, Nobody knows that until they die. Really? That's not what the Bible teaches. These things have been written that you might know you have eternal life. But if you're really truly born again, then you have eternal security. If you're not born again, then you're just religious and you have no security. Right? Right? You're more, you're, more, uh, you're more assured of your eternity in those moments you're doing good. But when you do bad or slip up, now you're insecure. Why is that? Because you have a religion, not a relationship. When you have a relationship, you don't break up every three minutes. Because, you know, if that's how a relationship with God would be, it would be breaking up every three minutes. Because how, how long does it take you to sin? <laughs> no, none of us wake up. Don't get me wrong. None of us wake up and say, oh, you know, here I go. I, I, I'm going to go commit a sin. No, but you wake up and, and you know, you can wake up and look out at the window and it's too sunny or, or it's too foggy or it's too whatever and you're grumpy about that. It's like, oh, man. Well, you've already you just sinned, man. You just sinned right then and there. You should get up and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Now, I cannot do that until I have a cup of coffee, personally. But you know what I'm saying? Do you, know, you ever realize how much grace it takes to get you and I through one day? That's because we have a relationship with him. And we're walking with him. But when the scripture says that when God's best is accepted, when it says in verse 12, that he didn't enter into the holy place, that is the holy of holies, not on earth, hallelujah, but in heaven above. You guys remember that. Everything that God told Moses to build in the tabernacle, and then eventually Solomon built the temple, it was all a knockoff. All of it. It was just a pattern of what is eternal in the throne room of God, in heaven above. There's an actual holy of holies in heaven. It's eternal. And so God told Moses, build on earth what I showed you With these instructions. Thank God that Jesus presented his blood in the holy place in heaven. That's how secure your salvation is. He made the offering in a place where moth and rust and thief cannot break in or steal. I'm grateful. I'm so grateful that when you go to Jerusalem today and there's a vacant lot where the temple once stood. That if your your life was wrapped up in the sacrificial offerings of the blood blood of animals, you'd feel pretty bad right about now looking around. It's all gone. It's been destroyed. Just as Jesus said it would be, by the way. No. Your salvation is secured in heaven. We'll see this much more in a moment. But it's eternal redemption. Eternal. Do you understand that? Well, I hope, man, when I'm in heaven, I hope I don't like trip over an angel and and get in trouble and get thrown out of heaven. Not going to (laughs) happen. Eternal redemption. Imagine when you and I are ultimately redeemed, which right now, in a sense, a whole lot of us is. (laughs) We are, except our bodies. We're waiting for this. This is why death for the believer is not a big deal. In fact, it's a it's the cutting of the anchor, a way that the ship can sail. That's how the apostles refer to it. Death for the believer. I mean, look, you don't remember, you don't remember um, leaving your mother's womb and coming into this world. I mean, people say, oh, I remember. You do not remember. <laughs> okay? I don't know what you're doing, but you're, you're, you're not remembering. God's mercy and grace doesn't allow you to remember that. Can you imagine? It's like, here you are, swimming around. Everything's great. The water is totally tropical, 98.6. And then you're going to go through this, this little passageway. It's like, here we go. And it's like... And you survive this thing, and you come out, and no wonder why we look the way that we do. Only a mother can say, isn't my baby cute? Honestly... To you, sure. But no way. Look at the trauma that kid just went through. And you come into this world, right? In a way, there's a passage, right, from life. That kid's fine in there. The mother, you know the mother, the mom is the one that starts pushing the baby out. The baby's fine to stay in there. It's the, it's the womb that begins to contract and push the kid out. If the kid could vote, the kid would stay. Uh, Why should I leave? This is fantastic. My parents, my mom feeds me, right? Everything is this great. I'm naked. It's warm water. It's fantastic. Then they come into this world. And then once you realize that you're in this world, it's like, oh, you love life. And you want to live. Well, for the believer to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, for us, Oh no, what's the matter? I'm going to die. You mean you're going to move to heaven? Only your body's going to die. Remember that. Only your body's going to die. But isn't that a big deal? Uh, It's a big deal in either direction. If you're going to hell, it's a very big deal. Which means this has been the best it's ever going to be for you. But if you're going to heaven, this is the worst it will ever be for you. And so what will it be? Well, according to the Bible, Jesus Christ purchased for us eternal redemption. The third thing is when God's best is perfect. Of course God's best is perfect. It's God who designed the plan of redemption. I'm so glad about this. It's not man-made. Now, C.S. Lewis used good, real English language, not perverted language like we have today. When C.S. Lewis said about becoming a Christian, he was a famed atheist, you know, at Oxford University, the great thinker, and C.S. Lewis began to study the claims of Christ. He began to listen to his born-again friend, J.R.R. Tolkien, and Began to read the Bible for himself. Because he was no ignorant person. C.S. Lewis, being brilliant, read everything. And he was a master of languages. And so he's reading the syntax, the logic, the reason, the arguments behind what the scriptures presented. He approached it like he investigated a case. And one of his great summations of why he became a Christian is because he said, when you look at Christianity, it's just queer enough. That no man could have invented it. You think about that for a moment. Every cult in the world has been invented by a man or a woman. Mostly, a lot of women have invented cults, but same with men. Human inventions. What's with that? Notice every one of those human inventions, your survival is dependent upon you. And what is that? how you can please the leader. If you're in a, quote, religion, quote, that's all about pleasing a leader, what happens if you displease them? Human history is strewn with the wreckage of things like that, where people pursue a religion, and they try to earn the favor of the leadership, or of the guru, or of the the leader of the pack, or the, the Jim Jones. A lot of you young people don't know who that is. Look it up later. You should look it up later. Catastrophe. Horrific. Thank God that his best for us is perfect. Verse 13 and 14 says, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a red heifer, that is all of these things that were used regarding the sanctification of both the implements and the tabernacle worshiped sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, this is Christ Jesus, who through the eternal spirit Offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience, this is so important, from dead works to serve the living God. Number one, quickly, is this, that the, those earthly elements and those earthly tools that the tabernacle had, they had to be sanctified. So it wasn't, listen, it wasn't enough that they were made out of either bronze or silver or gold, which they were, according to god it had to be it had to be sprinkled or it had to be cleansed by blood and by the ashes of a red heifer you say jack what a what a red heifer this is a re- a red uh, bull red bull not, no connection <laughs> that is perfect and is examined by the priest that it has no flaws has to be a male, perfect. It is to be sacrificed, it is to be burnt, the ashes are to be mixed with water, and it is to sanctify the elements for the purification. All of this, out of the book of Leviticus and Exodus, speaks about the the cost of sin and what God requires in redemption. It's got to be perfect. Perfect. But there's no, not even an. an how could an animal, how can an animal be our atonement? We're not related to animals. Amen. As cute as your little animal is, if you offered it up on an altar, oh God, forgive me my sins. Here's my. Because you know, listen, worship's supposed to be expensive. So do you have a? What do you have? Do you have a cat? Is it a dog? Do you have a poodle? What is it? What do you love? Imagine. Listen, regarding the Passover, do you remember what Israel was supposed to do before that night came? They were supposed to bring a little lamb, a little lamb perfect into their home. In Egypt, they brought him into the house and they, li- they had him in the house. Have you- and I don't know if you've ever seen a little lamb. We ought to bring a little lamb out here sometime. We've done it before. I should do it again. They're just once you, hold, once you get them, first of all, you got to get them. The little stinkers, they're like grease lightning. But once you get one, they're just, they're just, it's awesome. They don't kick and stuff, they're just. And then imagine being in your home and you have this lamb for the week. Because that's what they were supposed to do in Exodus chapter 12. Read it later. They had him. Imagine playing with the kids, sleeping with the kids. How cute that would be. And you know why it was that way? Because on the day of the Passover, that night that was to come, the father would confess the sins of the the home upon that little lamb. And the kids and everybody would see dad slit its throat, capture its blood, and put the blood on the doorpost of the house in the lintel at the top. And the death angel came through Egypt that night. And I just love this. Read the fine print. My Jewish friends don't like me when I say this. But it's true. The death angel came through and looked for what? Did the death angel go through and look for Jews? Egyptians? Visitors? No. No. Blood. Does that mean if some Egyptians were listening and they had friends who were Jews, and they said, what are you guys doing? We're doing this. This is going to happen. Now, this is not in the Bible what what I'm telling you. But what if the angel was ordered to look for blood? And if you didn't have blood, you died. So what if an Egyptian believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and put blood on the doorpost lintel of his house? What if a Gentile tonight says yes to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Based on what? Blood. Not our blood, not animal blood, on the blood of Christ. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's awesome. The eternal spirit offered himself, Jesus, without spot. Jesus Christ is perfect. I love that. He's our banner. Perfect. Perfect. Number four is when God's best is power. God's best is power. We'll do our best to, um, to get past this fourth point. It's a big one. I love it. When God's best is power. And for this reason, he, that's Christ, is the mediator. Well, listen up, my friends. Do you have a go-between between you and God? If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anyone. Amen. And I'm not making that up. And that's not my opinion. Oh, but I have a priest. I confess to my priest. Stay tuned. In the book of Hebrews. We've already read in chapter 8, in the earlier front end of chapter 9, that there's no earthly priest on earth that can take away our sins. That when we confess to an earthly priest, we're confessing to a sinner. There's only one who's not a sinner. And this is the mediator. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. Wow. By the way, in your note taking, you ought to write down this right now. Ezekiel chapter 36. 36, right around verses 20 to verses 30. Ezekiel chapter 36 start at verse 20. Why? Because Ezekiel in the Old Testament chapter 36 says that God will give for salvation for the Jews a new covenant. Did you know that? He says, I'm going to finish the old covenant that was made in stone. He echoes it again in Jeremiah 31. Well here, it's stated in verse 15 in the book of Hebrews. A new covenant. By means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. That is the volume and the record of sins that was kept because of the first covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Watch this. Verse 16. For where there is a testament there must also be the necessity of the death of the testator. In other words, if you have a will, if you have a living trust, which, by the way, if you live in California, you better ha- at least have a will. You better read <laughs> the laws in California. I'm, I'm, I'm weird. So at 18 years of age, I read these things, and it shocked me. I thought 18 is a big deal. Back in back in my day, eighteen was a big deal, and so that 's when you can get credit cards and all kinds of stuff and do whatever and and I, I I love that kind of stuff i just i mean not using credit cards i i I think you should use uh, what 's available wisely and uh, we can talk about this in some other gathering but it doesn't take an Einstein to figure out how you can use the credit, cards, the credit card company's money to actually make money, and the credit card companies will pay for that. You don't have to, when you sign for a credit card, you ought to think about how you're going to use their money. It's their money, so figure out how to use it rightly. So I was all excited about that, and then I started reading about California law, and when you die, because that's what 18-year-olds think about, right? that are weird like me, and um, in California, you better have a living trust, and you can go talk to some guy, I don't know who that would be, you find them, that's your business, I'm not a financial advisor, but let me tell you this, whatever you have, and most people don't think they have much until you actually sit down with somebody and find out, wait a minute, that's all I own, but it's worth that much? Well, I want my aunt to have that, or my kid to have that, or my, you hear what I'm saying? You don't realize until your life is examined by somebody who's very impartial. They have no horse in the race except that this is it, bottom line, this is what you're worth. A dollar fifty? Well, if you don't tell, if you don't leave it in a living trust to somebody, I'm going somewhere with this. This is not a financial seminar. This is a Bible study. Watch what happens. If you don't write in what your will is, what your will. I'm not talking about your will. Let me re- replace the word. If you don't write down what your desires are, it's going to the state. You better read the fine print because that includes your kids. The state of California is brutal. If you die and your kids are underage and there's nobody in the immediate near. For, to receive those kids? It's terrifying. They're property of the state. State Constitution's terrifying. Well, for the will to be enacted, it's just a piece of paper. It's in a safe deposit box or it's at the attorney's office. It's nothing. Do you understand that? Well, we paid a couple thousand bucks for this living trust or this will. Don't worry about it. You're not dead yet. It's worthless until what happens? You gotta die. The moment you die, it goes into work. How cool is that? From the grave, yet you speak. (laughs) Lisa's got a bazillion teacups from all over the world. And uh, we had to put that in our living trust. The girls, you get this cup, you get this cup. Hopefully they'll match the But you got to write this stuff out. And God did it in absolute remarkable power. What is that power? The fact that Jesus Christ, he wrote us, So watch, he wrote, God wrote us the word of promise, but it actually has real no effect until the one who wrote it dies. And when he dies, that's why it's called the New Testament, by the way. The New Testament is that he's the one who dies, but he's so cool. The Bible tells us that God is our advocate, too. An advocate is another name for attorney. So watch this Jesus dies on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins. He is the sacrifice. At the same time, being the offering, he's the priest. You say, well, how could he be the priest when he's dead? Only his body died. When he rose from the dead on the third day, he is now not only the sacrifice, he's the resurrected sacrifice. And he doesn't leave the benefits of his testament to anybody to implement but himself. He comes back from the dead to make sure the deal is perfect and that it's power. He's the one that keeps the deal. Yeah, but he died. Exactly. The moment he died, he set it into motion. And then he rose again from the dead to make sure that you got to enjoy the benefits of his sacrifice. He's absolutely awesome. And so it says in verse 17, for a testament is enforced after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Isn't that great? That's power. And then number five is this, when God's best is costly. Yes, costly. Power? Sure. But how expensive was it? Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. That is the Old Testament. And when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both The book, can you imagine? The Old Testament getting sprinkled on. The first five books itself and all the people. Do you you see that? What a mess. Stop and think about it for a moment. That God says to them, you're my people. But there's sin between us. And so this is how it's going to be taken away. The sacrifice is going to be made, and then hyssop, it's like t- like a branch. It's going to be dipped in blood, and it's going to sprinkle the book and you. He's like... <laughs> Peter makes reference to this in his epistle. The believer is covered, according to God's... Perspective, the believer, you the believer, if you're trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're covered in the blood of Christ. Now, I've said this before, and it's probably boring to some of you, but maybe there's one person here that this will help. But when when somebody says, this is gross, I understand, and I think it should be gross. Blood is a very costly thing. And I worked for many years in a research lab, and we studied the dynamics of blood, hematology and the flow dynamics of blood. That was... spent 13 years developing products and working with uh, animals. Don't hold that against me. It's what we did to save human lives. And it was fascinating. But what's interesting is watching... um, during an experiment, blood blood gets tired. We would bring blood. It's remarkable, the corporation I worked for, during the middle of the night and the evening of the night before our studies, the company I worked for would draw blood from, I don't know why, but they would draw blood from men, male hematocrit, female and male. Look, I'm sorry to sound like a radical, but even the blood of a male and a female are different men men our blood coagulates faster than a, a woman does did you know that and by the way women you should be very happy about that there's a reason why if your if our blood if my if male blood was in a female uh you would not survive one month if you get my drift you would die You'd, you'd just be one, You'd blood clot to death. Your hematocrit is, is less than a male. When a male goes at, we, a man can bleed and he can, he can, uh, he can heal up quicker. Uh, and think about how God went ahead of us where a woman needs to be able to bleed to, to save life. And and yet, in an experiment, so they would draw blood from from male students at the University of Chicago, fly it all night long, and by 5 a.m. in the morning, it would be here at John Wayne Airport, and somebody would pick it up for us, and by 7.30, we'd start our studies. And we had to, no breaks. It was totally against the law. I'm sure of it. Once we started, you could not take any breaks until that blood had broken down. And sometimes blood would last 9, 10, 12, 13 hours. It was amazing. I loved that job. And um, I left that job to, to be with you. And um, I cried all the way home. I knew I was supposed to, to do this, but I, I, I cried all the way home from Newport to Chino Hills. It was a great job. and um, But the remarkable attributes and characteristics of blood, you begin to realize how precious it is. And there's and sometimes it's very resilient, and at times you can introduce something foreign to it, and it destroys it in a second. And when it starts to... Um, when it starts to be sacrificed, if you you would. Uh, You can actually physically see the cost of of just that one cell being expended. And listen, the blood of Christ that was shed for us, according to God's word, he sees you not wrapped in fig leaves or whatever leaves. Was it fig leaves that Adam and Eve, does it say fig? It says fig, yeah. You know the, what you know they didn't have figs. You know she didn't she didn't have two figs here and one fig there. You know the Hebrew word implied? and Adam didn't have like one fig there. It, 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 we have you know we've got this picture like just wearing a fig, the leaf. That's all. That's not what the Hebrew language implies. The Hebrew language implies that they covered themselves with fig leaves. There used to be the Jolly Green Giant can. Remember that guy? That's what they look like. They look like a bush. Eve, don't move. You see those eyes? They were covered in in fig leaves, not a fig leaf. Fig leaves, it says. They try to cover up themselves. Listen, without the blood of Christ, you're still trying to cover yourself up with fig leaves, which are usually in the form of excuses. Cover up. With Christ, you're covered in the blood of Christ. What does that mean? It means when God sees you, he sees the blood of his son. And isn't it interesting, that job I had, we would shine... Infrared light into the moving blood cells and the data bounced back and received from the blood cells, that was analyzed and it was developed in such a way that we could tell exactly the oxygenation of one cell, blood cell going by. 92%, 99%, 82%. And we could see that happening. Why? Light hit red and bounced back and that brilliance of red or the lack thereof Equated to a number. And that number, by the way, translated into whether you were living or dying. Which direction is this patient going? God's light shines and sees you red. The data bounces back to the eyes of God and sees nothing but Christ. 100%. 100% pure, 100% power. 100% 100% perfect. That's why we say as believers that we're, we're covered in the blood. We sing the song, the blood, the blood, the wonderful working blood, the power of the cross. Why do we talk like this? Think about it. If you're not a Christian, it sounds so morbid. But once you realize God's economy, I get it. We all get it right now. No matter, We all get it. I don't care what you claim to believe in. You get it. Right now, if you began to leak blood, you'll be concerned because you know it's life. The scripture says before science even knew this, the Bible said the life of the individual is in the blood. Did you know we did not know that until I think the 11th or 12th century? The life is in the blood. remarkable. Number six is when God's best is pure. Look at verse 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. That is, there's no forgiveness. Therefore, it is necessary that the copies of the things in the heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Jesus and his priesthood. Verse 22 reminds us and tells us that there needs to be repentance. But there's got to be blood. Did you know that? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, good. But the expense of that or the cost of that has got to be pure. And see, you and I are not pure, so what can we offer? Our blood, not good enough. I'll write a check, not good enough. I'll run around the world ten times... And do penance. I'll do so many Hail Marys or Halleluias or fill in the blank. Not enough. God says not enough. It's him and him alone. It's his sacrifice. It is absolutely his purity. Nothing else. Number seven. We're almost done. Number seven, when God's best is now showing. It has to, look, I had to put now showing. I did that deliberately. It's like, I I want one word, I want one word. God's best is, you know, like pure or power. There's no way to do it, but put down two words, now showing. You mean like now showing at the theater? Exactly. You'll see this in a moment. When God's best is now, in the present tense, today, tonight, showing. On display. What do you mean by that? Verse 24, For Christ has not entered the holy place made with, that is, human hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself. Man, we can pause right there at that comma. Do you remember when Jesus rose again from the dead? And it was Easter morning, right? And the women in the, you know, there's a lot of activity going on that morning with trips by the disciples and by the women to the tomb. And at one point, uh, I believe it's Mary, I'm not sure. She's the One of the women, Mary, maybe Mary, grabs hold of his feet and hang, she hangs on to him. And remember what he says? He says, do not cling to me. The word is, don't hold me down. He says, for I have not yet ascended. Amen. Then, if you keep reading the narrative of the post-resurrection, you do have a time when people are hugging Jesus. And he doesn't say anything about it. And because of that, some scholars, and I agree with this, some scholars believe that once Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he said, don't hold me back, I've not yet ascended, don't cling to me, that from his resurrection to his ascension is what, some 40 days? that at some point during that time, Christ would have presented his blood in the Holy of Holies, in heaven above, because remember, in post-resurrection life, Christ is glorified. He's appearing and disappearing. He's showing up in rooms that have locked doors, and the disciples are hiding out, and he shows up. Boo! I'm here. And then he vanishes from them. It correlates with him having been resurrected, having paid the price, but before he ascends to heaven in the ascension, he makes offering for our sins. During that 40-day period of time, he presents his own blood before almighty God the Father for the atonement of us. That's why your treasure is stored in heaven. That is your treasure. Your salvation purchased. Yeah, but what about this now showing stuff? I'm coming to that. Verse 25. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. That's the one on earth. Verse 26. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. Friends, listen. Jesus Christ suffered once on the cross, and that is it. He does not suffer anymore. He does not suffer in what is referred to or believed as transubstantiation or anything else. I don't mean to hurt anyone's feelings, but you need to know the truth. Not all crosses are the same. So what do you mean? There's a Christian cross, and then there's a Catholic cross. Now, don't get me. Listen, seventy-five percent of this church is Catholic people. You know that. I know this because I, every week, I have to tell people, I'm not your father. (laughs) It's it's true, Father Jack. It's Pastor Jack. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry, but I come here for Bible study. I'm a Catholic, but I come here to learn the Bible. That's awesome. Just keep coming, but don't call me Father again. You're not supposed to do that. (laughs) It's kind of cute. And then, by the way, what happens is after about, you know, it takes some three months, six months, a year, you just, they, you, I just see them sitting here now all the time. Go, what's going on? I just studied the Bible now. Good for you. Yeah. Wonderful. That's right. He only suffers once. Jesus suffered once in on the cross. That's it. He doesn't suffer again. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see the word appeared? It's now appearing. It's stated in English in the past tense. But it's, he appeared, he's appearing, he's forever appearing. His sacrifice is always in effect. Now appearing. Oh, I hope... wonder if God loves me yes he does he says so now appearing oh I hope he forgives me yes he will confess your sin to him now appearing he represents you constantly before the father and number eight the best for last when God's best is final and as it has been appointed for men that's all of us this is mankind you women don't get off on this it's all men Once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Listen to this. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. What? A second time. That implies he came a first time. Yep. Apart from sin, for salvation. I'll end with this. To those who eagerly wait for him. Pause right there. There's no way of getting around this, folks. You know these people who say, we don't know when Jesus is coming back and all this other stuff's got to happen first. This is true. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Nobody knows when he's coming back. But throughout scripture it says, be looking for him. So say, isn't there a problem with that? Not at all. If we don't know when he's coming back, and yet the Bible tells us, be looking for him, that means he's going to come at a time that will matter for those who are looking for him. Are you looking for him? I, I'm very dogmatic about what I'm about to say, and I just don't see any way around it. I've wrestled with this for more than half my life, and I've just given up. And it's this: to those who eagerly wait for him, I don't worry about it anymore. I don't worry about, because you, know you know what I've discovered? that the Holy Spirit in me is always prompting me to make sure that I'm eagerly waiting for him. I don't like have to prop my eyeballs open with toothpicks to be eagerly waiting for him. I'm eagerly waiting for him because he said, "Be watching. Be ready!" For you know not when the hour is. And isn't it amazing that right here in the Bible it says that He's going to appear to those who are eagerly waiting for Him? Oh, so I don't know. I like. I don't know if I like the way that sounds. Too bad. Jesus said, "You better make sure the oil in your lamp doesn't run out. Trim your wick. What does that mean? Don't waste it. Be efficient." Be filled up with the oil, shining your lights, waiting for him while you're busy for him. At your job, at your school, whatever you're doing, in your retirement. Shining for him. And this is beautiful. Notice the difference, everyone. Let's see if you catch it. If you wait for him eagerly, he's going to appear the second time. Watch this. The second time. Not to deal with sin. That's what the word "apart from sin" means. Not the sin factor. That's already been taken care of. Church, are you awake? We're almost done. When, when was the sin issue done with? First, second uh, first coming or second coming. First coming. He dealt with the sin issue first. That's Isaiah 53. He died for the transgressors. That's us. The second time, he's not going to die. He's not going to suffer. The second time he comes, and it's awesome for those who are eagerly waiting for him. Do you get that? It's so clear. No wonder why. It's the blessed hope. Titus 2.13. You can write this down. It's the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Father, we thank you. Lord, we confess tonight, we understand, we're not worthy. There might be people in here tonight that have tried so hard to get worthy. And they are tired, worn out, defeated, and mistakenly have viewed Christianity as such. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, it's so brutal. Listen, I don't know what dictionary you're reading, but you ought to pick up the Bible. And find out that we couldn't save ourselves, that's why he came. We can't be righteous, that's why he is. We're lost, we need to be found. We're stumbling around in this world trying to figure out what we're even living for, and why life even exists, when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We're running around like a chicken with its head cut off when Jesus said, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. Open up, and I will come in that is into your heart and I will dine with you. Sup, I will eat. With you. That's a precious thing, friend. In that culture, when you ate with someone and you just didn't eat with anybody, if you were invited to eat with someone in the Middle East and in Israel, you were accepting an invitation to become one with them because the same lamb or the same falafel or the same Matzah that your friend is eating is the same going into you and they take that very romantically that if it's in you and it's in me then we're one and Jesus said I will eat with you so my dear friend tonight maybe right where you're at you might say to him tonight Lord Jesus I want to open up the door of my heart to you I want you to come in and be my priest and my redeemer and my king and my lord my savior My mediator, no more man, no more priests in this world. Jesus, direct. There's one mediator between mankind and God, and that is Christ Jesus. Wherever you're at tonight, or maybe you're viewing us right now, wherever you're at, you can say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and wash away my sins. I have sinned against you, almighty God. I am sorry, I'm ashamed. Of myself, and I'm ashamed of what my life has become, and I I want to change. My dear friend, if you can reboot your computer, then can't God provide you that opportunity to reboot your life, so to speak? You can start life all over again tonight. And let Jesus now take charge. Invite him into your life. In fact, church, let's stand right now. Let's all stand. And maybe in this song of worship, you can be giving your life to Christ. Christians, maybe we can rededicate our lives. It's always good to do that. I think it's good to do that every day. But maybe you're here tonight, and tonight's the night where you're saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life, and God will hear you. And if you need prayer for anything at all, at the end of this worship, you can come forward, and there'll be people up front here to pray with you. But aren't you glad that God has given us the best in Jesus Christ? And all God's people said, amen. 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 Let's worship him.